All right, McFarland, 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 McFarland Energy. We scream McFarland when we want to feel good. So this is a podcast all about feeling good. McFarland Energy, thank you for sponsoring this fine podcast, The Bradford Show. Uh, Coop's on assignment right now. I'm Rob Bradford. Now, we all know what's going on with the Red Sox. Not good, right? Not good. They win a couple still. You're in a hole. You're in a hole. You're in a mid-May hole. Early in the season, it's hard to be early in the season when you're 10 games out of first place. They head into Tuesday, nine games under 500. We all know the deal with the Red Sox. All right, we get it. But we want what we, we want to do here at this podcast is, is just give you a glimmer of hope somewhere else or maybe give you a little bit of entertainment or information or something. We did the podcast of ranting just the other day. Now let's give you a little bit something different. Okay, what we're going to do is we did interviews. The first one is with Eddie Romero, assistant GM with the Red Sox, a guy who had a huge hand in signing the topic of the lead story in today's podcast, which is Miguel Blaze, 18-year-old, signed for $1.5 million at the Dominican Republic. Now, I know it's unfair to say this is the Red Sox next star, but if you're looking at people and players who potentially could be the next really, really huge upside guys, we're talking about this guy, Miguel Blaze. He's an outfielder for the Red Sox, obviously down in Florida right now, the Florida Complex League. But, you know, he's he's a guy, and we'll talk about it. Listen, I mean, Bianca Smith, who was with us on this podcast, this is what she had to say about Miguel. I can just say the first time I met him was in Strucks in October, and the first time he swung a bat, my first thought was, wow, I can't wait to watch this kid play. And so far, I haven't been wrong. And I'm not just talking like hitting. Um, like I said, I run the outfield. So even just getting to see him in the outfield, just how athletic he is, and the fact that he's so young, the power he already has, I mean, he's he's going to have an exciting career. And I'm looking forward to seeing that. And he's just a great kid. All right. So you get the idea. Like, the guy is really, really good. And when you sign for $1.5 million, like, you know that there's something there. You know there's potential there. And we get into that with Eddie. Eddie Romero, always great on the podcast and always great talking about some of these kids, the behind-the-scenes story that took these kids to the Red Sox, whether it's Rafi Devers or going back a ways, Yohan Mankata. So, Miguel Blaze, we're going to give you a little glimmer into what might be the next great Red Sox player. And I know that everyone cringes when you say that about an 18-year-old, but that's how talented this guy is. Okay, we follow that up. I sit down for a little bit, and I ask Alec Verdugo about pitching. This is about pitching. That's it. Is he going to pitch? What's his plan for pitching? That's it. That's it. Seems like a legitimate conversation, logical conversation. So, you know, I, I could ask about hitting. Sure, fine, super. We've heard about Alex Verdugo hitting. He needs to hit. But let's talk a little bit just about pitching, just a little bit. Then the last thing we do is I sit down with a guy that you might be familiar with, Michael Kopech. Now, all the news about Chris Sale lately, it makes us remember, how did you get Chris Sale? Well, you got Chris Sale with a trade that included Michael Kopech. And Michael Kopech is having a really good year for the Chicago White Sox. He has changed a ton. And remember, this was the guy who all he wanted to do was to throw 110 miles an hour, had all kinds of bumps in the road in his career. 
So uh, I sat down with him. I've known him for a little bit since days with the Red Sox. Now, obviously, starting rotation with the White Sox. So it, I think it's a, it's a good, good conversation with a guy who has had his fair share of ups and downs. But I'm telling you what, this, uh, you aren't going to find many more talented pitchers in the American League than this guy. And I know that for Red Sox fans, they still know who this guy is. Absolutely. All right. So... Once again, this is the Distraction Podcast, Bradfo Show. Let's start with a little Miguel Blaze talk. All right, Miguel Blaze, discuss. <laughs> no, we're obviously excited about Miguel and uh, the development path is, is going well. He's down there in Fort Myers. Um, we've got a, a, an exciting group down there that has uh, recently started playing some games um, against other teams, finally, after you know a couple weeks of inter-squads. And, and the early returns have been well. You know, um, I, I know I've spoken with uh, some coordinators that have been down there and some of the coaching staff. And and uh, and he's he's coming along nicely. You know, it's an exciting package with, you know, he's obviously a, a premium athlete. I think he's uh, um, he's, he's shown uh, really elite bat speed. Um, and there's a lot of things, like his, his game just – has an explosive nature to it that is is tough to find and so he settled in well in center field um you know we've got a good group of outfielders along with he and, and juan chacon and a couple other guys alexis hernandez who've been playing well down there so we, we want to get him exposed to, to all three outfield positions but uh he's swinging the bat well he's shown some power early on and um he's definitely a guy that catches your attention when you get on the field due to that explosiveness that's what miguel um that's what uh, we had bianca smith on and that's she's like yeah listen when i first saw him he separated himself. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, she's uh, she's a good scout, you yeah. know. And uh, and and again, I know she's uh, also credit to her with the, some of the work that she's done with with Miguel in the cage. But um, like I said, he's coming he's coming along nicely. Like some of the things that uh, he can do on the field are, are difficult to teach in terms of the twitch and the athleticism, uh, his ability to go chase balls. Like he can really impact the game. Uh, from a base running standpoint, from a power standpoint, from a defensive standpoint, those things are hard to do. And, um, you know, there's always an assimilation period there, but he's adapted well to the instruction, to the culture, to the climate down there. And, and uh, so, like I said, we're, we're happy with how he's coming along. So, you know, I love the like the backstories of finding these guys. And now I don't expect you to to go all yawn Mankata story on me but but still there's always a good story to find and, and it gives you an opportunity to credit scouts who obviously put in a lot of work so give me the give me the 30 for 30 the oral history on getting up Miguel Blaze what if I told you um, <laughs> we uh no, he was, he, he, you know, Miguel was at a, at a high-profile uh, program down in the Dominican, and so he was uh, somebody that we kind of identified extremely early on as somebody just based on uh, the physical. Uh, like aspect. early on, like what age? Is like four to early 14s. Okay. Um, I can't remember exactly, but it was right around that age, and um, he had been fairly new to, the, to this program, and again, it's one of those situations where, um, you know, your area scout IDs him, and in that case, it was a kind of a combo job between Jonathan Cruz and, and Manny Anita uh, in that area, and uh, both of them raised, you know, uh, rang the bell on him, and, and we got in there, we got in there early, uh, obviously, just to try to develop a relationship, get to know the kids some, get to know the family, and uh, our, our area scouts did a, a heck of a job with that. Um, I took a trip to Bogota, Colombia, to go see him play, uh, along with uh, Alberto Mejia, who works in our department also. And it was, it was you know, like it was one of those um, holy cow moments when you just were the way you saw him glide around center field, um, what he was able to show in, in terms of raw skills during 
workouts and practice. And then in the game, it translated um, not so much to performance, but you could see that, you know, like he was just raw. And, and this there was, was like 15 years old? Yeah, this was right, right, right around like 15, like or towards the end of, of 14 was when uh, we saw him in, in Bogota, Colombia. And, and it's funny because especially there, it wasn't that major of a, of a, of a showcase, um, but it turned out to be, you know, like one of those where it really made a determination for us that it was pretty easy that this was a guy that we were going to pursue strongly. So, you know, I mentioned Mancata. In a, a big part of this is relationship building. Because so when you get into a Miguel Blaze situation, the guy signs for a million and a half bucks. So that tells you that other teams, that you're not stashing them under somewhere. Um, so talk about that part of it, the, the relationship building. Um, and we're leading up to when, you know, hey, you, we want to put ourselves in the best position when when it does come time for him to make a decision sure i mean it's it's tough to do for, you know to really get to know a player and to establish that firm relationship with the family is something that really we rely on our area scouts to do so again going back to the in-home visits from jonathan cruz and, and alberto mejia those were the guys on the ground got to know him got to know his parents his grandmother his uncle the people that uh really formed his circle of trust and uh in addition to you know guys that we, he played along with hey how is he as a teammate uh how does he like to compete you know and a lot of the things like the, the baseball stuff you could see how competitive he was on the field you know even in showcases where there's no no trophy or anything he still wanted to separate himself he still wanted to be the best player on the field but again I tip my cap to to the work that our staff and the Dominican did getting to know him getting to know that this kid was all about baseball uh, he's an intelligent kid he's somebody that has been able to uh, adapt to some of the things that we've taught him very quickly um, you know he, he likes getting information he likes getting some of the data uh, and integrating that and again that just speaks to the the overall environment that we've been able to create down you know in our Dominican player development and along with, with what he's doing now in Fort Myers but um, I don't think without those relationships you know like uh, we're able to sign a player like this mm-hmm. because it's a buy-in from the entire family and uh, and he's bought in you know he wants wanted to be a Red Sox I and mean, he knows that there was a strong interest from from other clubs but uh, at the end of the day he felt comfortable with us and and uh, we're glad to get it done well that's the thing when when you're we're talking about an athletic outfielder um, these are where the superstars of baseball are coming from right I mean this is <laughs> a, a team sees something like this or team see something like this and they start drooling and they're like okay we have this pool of money this is where the money's going so for you guys to, to get I want to say one of these guys, but one of these guys, one like a guy that is when you say see him, say wow, that must be a uh, uh, to all the scouts. But like, oh man, this is this is a big deal for the organization. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I think all teams are looking for athletes. If you look on big league fields, you see physical athletes everywhere. You know, behind the dish, uh, but especially you know in up the middle positions. And that was one of the things that um, really drew us to Miguel was the combination of. Uh, the projection in his physicality but along with the athleticism with the ease of movements the ability to change directions and um, that that explosive nature that I've referred to a few times now which is something that separates him and that's one thing that I think all clubs are are trying to identify if you look at players now like the Acunas of the world and uh, Tatis of the world those guys are up the middle up, up the middle players that uh, that have these athletic abilities that allow them to get to balls that others can't mm-hmm. do or uh, make adjustments athletically that that others can't and so um, you know I, I hope that you know Miguel gets into that conversation one day um, but uh, but he's definitely got traits that are incredibly intriguing from an athletic and, and physical standpoint I think well, that was one of those 
determining factors for us. Is there a moment? Is there like a, there's always it's always a fun thing like say hey, I, I I remember when he did this or I remember somebody I was standing next to this person and they they said this or was there a Miguel Blaze moment for you? You know I I don't remember anything uh, in particular like you know like from a from a performance standpoint, but I do remember one time. Uh, I was at a complex where there were two fields, and I was actually doing a seeing a tryout on one field while Miguel was playing in a game, playing center field. And I remember walking over there and just having a conversation, a baseball conversation with him while he was playing. <laughs> and we were talking about how the Red Sox games had gone that week, and and uh, and he was into it. I mean, he knew everything with how Devers had done. He knew how Bogey was what, what, what Bogey was up to. He was asking me like if what Bogey was working on his swing on. You know, there were these questions that I could just tell that he was invested in the Red Sox already from a personal standpoint. All while he's trying to perform in a, in a workout of his own. You yeah. know, and so uh, I thought that was really neat. I mean, and it was so funny with a conversation with on probably over four innings where after you know he would go hit he would get back on the field I would go walk out back out to the fence and we would continue the conversation and um it's things like that that kind of stand out that those are things that you know you're not necessarily going to put uh, in a scouting report or anything like that but uh it should show that he's got a passion for the game that he's intelligent that he's bought in that he's curious and I think that um all those mental attributes to go along with his physical attributes can hopefully point him in the right direction for us do you use that do you use the, the these guys like Devers or whoever as recruit recruiters I mean not I mean, recruiters is you know but this may be a sounding board or give them a phone call or whatever not so much I those guys are incredibly busy and I don't want to take them away from you know kind of what they need to do but those guys are recruiters on their own with their performance here and like people know like when they go back to the Dominican and and their dedication to their craft down there and you know there's times when those guys will come by the academy and and that word gets out but the biggest recruiting tool is when you know Rafael Devers is performing here at Fenway Park or wherever it is at the big league level and the Red Sox have such a large presence in the Dominican Republic because of what David and Pedro and Manny have done there that it's pretty easy to uh, to have those guys recruit for us without having to do it individually. Last thing, uh, I have you here, so I, and, and the White Sox are coming in. Your guy Mancada. I mean, we've talked about this before. It's always good, man. Like no matter what organization, you came to know this guy personally, his family, and everything else. Um, and it seems like forever ago now. I mean, it has was forever six years ago, right? But. You know, when you see a guy come in, and I don't know if you make a point of, like, I'm going to make sure I'm here when Yohan comes. Because it's, for you, for your career, I think that's probably a special guy, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, it is uh, it is great. Those reunions are always great. And I try not to mess up. I, I You know, I just I want to say hi to them and see how their families are doing and everything like that. But... Um you know, Yohan was a was a uh, was a was a very unique situation. The background, uh, everybody that was involved, the, the large number of people involved in that, and and all how it went down with 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 Ben Jarrington and, and and ownership and all that, being able to um, trust us in in, a, in an investment of, of that size. And I'm glad it's worked out for everybody. You know, we were able to uh, include him in a deal uh, that brought us Chris Sale and helped us get a championship and. Um, you know, on his end, his career, he's had a couple of really good seasons, and I know he's been banged up a little bit this year, but I look forward to seeing him, and, and those are guys, you're right, we, we follow uh, how those guys do their, their the trajectories of their careers, and we wish the best for those guys outside of when they play us, but it will be great to see them this Yeah, weekend. man, it's one of the most fun stories I've ever been yeah. a part of, so, all right, thanks, Eddie. All right, thanks. All right, some good stuff about Miguel Blaze from Eddie Romero. Now we're going to talk a little bit about pitching with another outfielder. 
Alex Verdugo. Uh, he talked about uh, pitching for a while now, wanting to pitch. And with Otani coming into town, this was sort of at the top of my mind anyway. I just wanted to get sort of Verdugo's perspective, if uh, he was inspired, if he was in, if there was any insight in terms of Otani and how this is all, might all be done. And, and so Verdugo sits down for a little bit and talks about his plan when it comes to actually pitching, which is something that he has gone on the record multiple times saying he wants to do. So here you go. Here's Alex Verdugo talking a little pitching. Does it intrigue you? Or? Yeah, I think it's more intriguing. I think it's just cool to see that he's doing it. You know what I mean? From an uh, offensive standpoint to like also a pitching one, it's, it's just cool to see. But um, my thing is just like, I think one day I want to. I don't know how soon it will be that I'll pitch, but... Um, I just think it'd be a cool thing to kind of try. But we'll see. We'll see how it's, it goes. It's so with him, it's like he actually. So they want to specialize him, right? And he's like, I just want to do it all. Yeah. Right. Like, is that something like you just like? I just like playing baseball. I don't want to. I, I think it is. I think it's something that I just like playing baseball. And like back in the day, it's like if you didn't hit or you didn't like do good at the plate, but you still have a chance to pitch and you know close it out or help the you know get out of an inning whatever it is I think that's just cool you know it lets you get out a little bit of frustration on the mound yeah you know obviously you get hit and it makes the day even worse but uh, <laughs> no it's just it's just how it goes it's just something that you know it's kind of been a dream of mine to to do both in the bigs and hopefully one day we can uh, see how, how it goes you need an off season to ramp up you think for sure, it i need like probably two years to ramp two up years? for it yeah have that, has that ramping up started or no uh, a little bit but not really no yeah, i'm yeah. more of just trying to like stay healthy for the year you know stay healthy yeah. in my position and uh just you know build up arm strength and just help them out for my outfield and then uh once i feel like my arm's ready for that then i feel like you know we can maybe try the next one not not this the be all end all but how hard could you throw now you think I don't, know. I don't know. I know the hardest throw I've had from the outfield this year was 99. So, 99? I mean, okay. I, don't, I don't know what yeah. that translates, like, you know, off the mound. But When you were pitching, did you get clocked? Yeah, I mean, uh, in high school, I was 97. Oh, you were? I topped out at 97, so. Oh, wow. Um, but, you know, I was more like, if I was starting, I was more like low to mid-90s. Like, I would, you know, 91, 92, 93, and then come up to 94, 95, and then I was relieving and I felt good I'd be anywhere from 93 to 97. Do you think that like this is the conversation about like people see Otani and like and like you talk about it do you think that this is actually going to be a thing like you say in two years like yeah I think so I think you know I don't see a reason why I understand like it's hard you know to stay healthy and do both and obviously for him he's got like a special uh, case for it but I think if you know you're doing that, and I think an easier road to it would be a reliever mm. than a starter. Um, that way you can keep you know majority of your offensive stuff the same, and you know just kind of come in from the outfield or come in from whatever position you play and, and do that. So I feel like that's an easier transition than trying to be a starter and you know do what he does offensively. Like, so that's sort of like in your yeah. I mean, well, since down the road, but that's sort of your mindset. Yeah, my mindset would be more of a reliever. Yeah. You know, just help out the guys in the pen, you know, at first if like I said, if my arm's healthy enough to do it, then you know, if it's a blowout game, don't waste an arm. You know, just let me go out there and just see how it looks. And if it looks good, then you kind of just keep going into a little bit more high leverage situations. Mm-hmm. And, if it's you know the other way around, not not looking good, and you know, just leave it in blowouts. Yeah. Last question: What do you got besides? So what's your what's your repertoire? What's your 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, so when you were well, you were in high school, what did you throw? I mean, fastball, which, you know, I can move it. Like, I can have a straight one, a cutter, two seam, um, you know, curveball, slider, and then I had, like, a knuckle curve thing. Like, Ooh, you know, wow, tumbling. you get a lot. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I never really learned to change up, you know, things like that, but. I kind of just, I like to mess around with different stuff. There's a guy across the room there that can teach you a chance. Yeah, not exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, I appreciate you taking yep. the time. Thank you. All right, finally, we talk to Michael Kopech. And Michael Kopech, obviously a first-round pick of the Boston Red Sox back in 2014, was traded along with Yoan Mankata, two other minor leaguers for Chris Sale, uh, has had its ups and downs, Tommy John surgery, some time away from baseball, uh, you really like you go back to the Red Sox time. You know, you had some issues there. So, but where he's landed is a pretty good place right now. He, as he talks about, he's pretty good talking about being honest with in terms of how he has evolved, not only as a baseball player as a human being. As we sit here right now, the best ERA in the American League: oh nine three ERA and six starts with the White Sox, just dominating thirty strikeouts and twenty nine innings. But for him, you know, he went for this guy. Or you've seen videos of him. I want to throw one hundred and ten miles an hour. Now he actually has reeled it in, trying to figure out exactly. Exactly how to pitch, and it seems like he's doing a pretty good job. So it was good to catch up with Kopech. Here you go. So, so uh, the obvious question is like, you look back, you look at like how what you are today compared to like when you left the Red Sox, right? Yeah. Like how much better everything. It's, do you feel like a completely different person? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've grown up quite a bit since then. Um, you know, had some major life changes. Had a kid. Have another kid on the way. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I mean, but as far as baseball goes, I've just kind of like um, taken a step back, I guess, and realized what I needed to do to kind of fill some fill some holes on the field. Um, kind of slowed myself down. Not worried so much about throwing as hard as I can, but like actually pitching. Hmm. Um, and I got a long way to go with that still, but I feel like that's that's the main difference in um, the pitcher I am now versus the pitcher I was then. Um, and then there's also, you know, like you said, a, a lot of personal differences. Was there a lot of looking back? Was there a lot of pressure? Like we we looked at it, like obviously you're in a Chris Sale trade, right? Mm-hmm. Top prospect, and you get like you're looking back, and you, then you like you said you're trying to throw as hard as you can, all of that. You look back like, oh man, I was just putting too much pressure on myself, or there was a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I think you, I think we all have a tendency to do that because I mean, getting into this game, it's a dream for all of us to be a big leader. So you do everything in your and what you feel like is in your control to to make it to the big leagues. Um, and you know, you realize once you get here that you may have been pressing some of the buttons a little too much or a little too hard, and maybe there's some some other things that you need to do to kind of reevaluate. And, that's kind of what kind of what happened when I got here, um, especially with Tommy John having to take that step back too. Um, and I, I think you know, just having that injury and that time away from the game, it was it allowed me to take the pressure off of myself mm-hmm. and then you know get better when I had the time to. Was there was there a piece of advice or a moment you remember was like sort of like a crossroads for you? Um. I don't know if there was one specific piece of advice or one specific moment as much as it was a collection of moments that just kind of 
you know, it, I started going down this, you know, I, I think it happens to a lot of ball players when you get something taken away from you that you love to do. I, I was kind of uh, going down a rabbit hole of just being depressed and not getting to help my team play. And I, I wanted to come back and make sure I was the best player I could be. And doing that, I, I realized that I needed to you know, really focus on some things that I kind of didn't think were as important before, you know, like commanding all my pitches rather than just trying to throw wipeout pitches or staying as focused as I can in the moment rather than letting the moment build and then trying to make it a really big pitch mm -hmm. or what have you. Um, you know, the, the game is a fast game and I think the key is to slow it down. And when you step out of the game, I think it's a lot easier to recognize that than when you're out there in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the picture you are now, do you feel like you're like, man, I can't believe like how A, how much better, and B, how different I am from, again, the guy who was just trying to throw his, I'm going to want to throw 110. And yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's been a blessing for me. I'm, I'm a very different pitcher, I'm a very different person, um, but I, I think it's, I think it's been great for me um, because I, I don't feel like I have to prove myself to anybody anymore. I, I can just go out there and do the job I'm supposed to do and focus on the task at hand and take it one pitch at a time rather than trying to, you know, build up this persona of who the, you know, flamethrower is or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, that's like that. You know, that was the thing, right? right, right. <laughs> Especially when you're trading for Chris Sale. Right. Know.